Hello, and thank you for tuning in. You are listening to the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. You can listen and subscribe to the show for free on Spotify, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Blog Talk Radio, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Audible. For network or show information, visit ByteRadio.me. And now, the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Good day, everyone, and thank you for joining us for this edition of the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Today, my special guest is Dr. Elena Mustakova-Pasart, and we'll be talking about healing in a complex and turbulent world and what it takes. And then we'll also be talking about her new book, Global Unitive Healing, Integral Skills for Personal and Collective Transformation. That book introduces a practical healing methodology for lives and nations in an ailing world. The book masterfully awakens us to collective authenticity and a unifying language of the heart for a diverse and independent humanity. Step by step, Dr. Elena Mustakova weaves a path toward grasping an emergent, interconnected, cooperative, pro-social world informed by way of unity, a mid-19th-century evolutionary leap of consciousness which integrates Eastern and Western spiritual thought. Dr. Mustakova is an independent scholar, practitioner, author, former university professor, teacher, trainer, coach, consultant, and clinician with a diverse interdisciplinary and multicultural background. She is the author of Critical Consciousness, which has been described as a courageous tour de force on the order of Maslow's toward a higher psychology of being. For more information, you can visit um, Dr. Mustakova's website, which is www.elenamustakova.net. And that's E-L-E-N-A-M-U-S-T-A. K-O-V-A dot net. And with that, I'd like to welcome Elena to the show. Good day, Elena. Good day, Robert, and thank you so much for having me. It is my pleasure, and, and I'm really looking forward to today's conversation. Um, you know, I'm, there's so many different areas that, that you touch on that are, that are fascinating. But let's, first of all, I want to start with um, that um, on your webpage, you, it shows, you describe yourself as being a spiritually oriented, integral psychologist and psychotherapist. So, and that spiritually orientation, um, I believe, has to do with uh, Baha'i faith. So, um, I believe I'm correct. So, would you let, can you let us know exactly, um, you know, what led your interest into the Baha'i faith and, and how does it, um, weave into the psychologist, psychotherapist role? Well, thank you. This is a, a pretty intense question that we're jumping right into. Thank you for <laughs> okay. this wonderful question. That. Let's just jump right in. <laughs> But that's what you know, I find that fascinating. Cause my 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 undergraduate degree was in psychology, so a lot of times, like you know, when when it comes to you know things psychology and psychotherapists and spirituality, I, to me, it's just a a fascinating um, mix, you know, in, in how you know it, it uh, each person kind of. Uh, emanates a, a different version of that. So anyway, that, that's why I, I wanted to jump into that so quickly. Well, I will agree with you that it is a very fascinating mix of uh, areas of learning for this very complex modern age that we're in. And psychology has always been my passion since uh, probably since I was a child. I found myself always observing people and always asking myself, why do people act the way they do? Why do we cause each other so much hurt, so much pain? Why do we often betray each other and also betray what we believe in? So these were questions that plagued me 
from childhood as I was observing human behavior. And first I sought answers to these questions in literature and philosophy and the history of art and linguistics. Um, and eventually that moved me into psychology. And my encounter with the Baha'i spiritual system was much later, but it was a, a profound encounter because it uh, made available to me a truly integrative way to understand everything that I hold in high regard. So I come from a, a Christian background, Eastern Orthodox Christian background. I've always had a deep sense that every faith seeks truth in its own way, which is unique and culturally and historically contextual, but nonetheless also universal. And I've also felt the universal truth and spiritual realities in literature and philosophy. And so it was difficult for me to understand why we hold these systems so much in opposition and in competition with each other. And so my encounter in my 30s with the Baha'i spiritual system, which began, originated in the mid-19th century in the Middle East, was uh, truly a, a radical discovery that, in fact, that is not necessary, that my intuition was correct, that all of these spiritual systems truly exist on a continuum, and, uh, and they have to be seen in their diversity and also in their unity. So that's wow. I'll say this much in pause here in terms of the Baha'i system, but let me answer the second part of your question. What does that have to do with psychology and psychotherapy? In my understanding, practically everything that we deal with at this time from the point of view of health issues, whether it's health of body, mind, and or spirit because they're completely connected or the health of our societies, which really impact our individual health has a lot to do with our spiritual condition, our individual spiritual condition, the condition of the spiritual condition of the societies and the world that we live in, which is very disturbed right now. And in my three decades of clinical practice and, and longer educational practice, I have seen again and again that when people launch on a journey of healing, whatever propels that journey, it may be an illness, it may be personal loss, it may be relational issues or um, a mental health condition, but whenever people launch on a journey of healing, if the journey goes far enough, it inevitably raises fundamentally spiritual questions of meaning and purpose. And, of course, this is something that was also realized and discovered by the prominent uh, 20th century psychiatrist Viktor Frankl, who survived Nazi concentration camps. And he also asked the question, why did those handful of people who survived, why did they survive? What helped them survive? And from that, he came to his, uh, well-known logotherapy, which is therapy that focuses on meaning. So at the core mm. of the human condition is our need for meaning. And meaning is a fundamentally spiritual question. And so there is very much a connection between healing and a spiritual understanding of life. Now, by spiritual, I mean a universal integral, comprehensive spiritual understanding that leaves plenty of space for the full diversity of ways in which people express their spirituality. So I'll stop here and let you uh, maybe <laughs> ask further questions. Yeah, that was, yeah, that was, that was, oh no, I, um, you know, I, I appreciate that. That's um, the one thing that I um, enjoy is the, um, embrace of the diverse um, systems, 
uh, spiritual systems. Um, so, you know, that, that's one thing I think that, that we really need, uh, need. The world needs much more now, to, I guess, to, to recognize yeah. that, you know, there, there is that thread. And, and you know, and you're talking about dire situations in our world that, you know, that is so true. And that's why I'm really happy to, to talk, you know, with you today about it because it seems like you your um, work is um, addresses issues on the macro level and the micro level, you know, the individual level as well yeah. as the, the community, national and, and global. So, I mean, it's, I think we sometimes get over, um, we put a lot more emphasis on the individual. But, you know, and rightly yeah. so. I mean, you yeah. know, it's, it's important to give that attention, but I think our, our you know, community and, and global um, part is is sometimes underplayed. You know, I want to jump in here because you said, if I may, a few very important things that I'd like to follow up on. Uh, to start with the, the, the last thing you say, said that we sometimes uh, so overemphasize the individual that we lose sight of the community and the global. One of the things that I explain in the introduction of my book, Global Unity is Healing, is that our collective life, collective meaning community, societal, and also global collective condition, is like a mebus strip with our individual internal condition. So if you Google mebus strip, you'll see that it's a seamless uh, reality where you cannot say where outer ends and inner begins. Inner and outer are a continuum. And it's so Mm. important to understand that because we still have this illusion that somehow, especially in wealthier societies, we have this illusion that it is possible for us if we find the ideal corner of the, of the world <laughs> and the ideal occupation and the ideal lifestyle, it is possible for us to be healthy and to thrive while the rest of the world is literally going to hell in a basket. And, and that's just not possible. Because we are so interdependent and because the incoherence of the world reverberates in our own internal incoherence. And here I want to come to the earlier thing that you mentioned, the importance of really integrating the full diversity of spiritual systems. What has happened is that different spiritual systems have literally become ideologies. And that's... Mm so different than a spiritual system. A spiritual system is open-ended. It's a way of making meaning of the complexity of life and us humans. An ideology is a fundamentally antagonistic system, the, uh, the intent of which is to dominate over other systems and also to prove other systems inadequate. So an ideology is a closed system. It does not stand internal scrutiny. It perceives that as a threat. And, and that's what we're living right now. We have a world of clashing ideologies. Some of them are religious ideologies. Some of them are uh, other kinds of political and social ideologies. But there are so many clashes of ideologies that there's literally less and less room, breathing space, for thoughtful human beings to ask meaningful spiritual questions about what are we living, what is living us now, I like to say often, and how can we thrive amidst this mess? And so being able to move away from ideology and uh, an ideological way way to hold our beliefs and, and holding our particular perspectives with an open heart, with an open mind, in a dialogue, is very powerful right now and much needed. So I'm very grateful for your show because it really opens up such a space and in that way does indeed bring inspiration. Thank you. Yeah, we, we hold a good space here. <laughs> you know, we're open to, you know, to learning, you know, and, and, um, and becoming better, you know, better, better uh, versions of ourselves. So um, now your work focuses on whole person healing and, and development. So can you um, maybe explain to us what, what that means? Another very good question. What does whole person healing mean? Well, 
it has something to do with how we understand what a person is. So for a long time, we seem to have been reducing personhood to our social identities and to our physical bodies and material circumstances. But that is a very limited way to understand personhood. And when we treat ourselves and other people that way, there's no wonder that we feel fundamentally unhappy and unsatisfied. Because there is plenty of reason to say this, both scientific and from spiritual systems, from all the world's spiritual systems, as well as social and physical science now. There is every reason to say that we are fundamentally consciousness and that consciousness in this plane is a wholeness of mind, body, and spirit in concrete socio-historical and cultural contexts. That is our wholeness. And so for us to heal, we in fact have to recognize that wholeness that we represent and work with body, mind, with spirit, with our socio-historical and cultural context, and that is the path to wholeness. Now, it's interesting that uh, the foreword of my book was, uh, was written by the philosopher, well-known Ken Wilber, and in the introduction, in the foreword, he discusses the different ways of wholeness, and he describes them in the following, he actually lists them in the following way. This might be helpful to your reader because they, uh, to your listener, I'm sorry, because they are good summaries. So he describes the following different types of wholeness. Waking up, growing up, cleaning up, opening up, linking up, and lifting up. And he speaks conceptually about how these are seven different types of wholeness. And uh, one doesn't necessarily presuppose the other. They sort of develop differently, but they're all necessary in this age. And what he describes conceptually, my book, Global Unity Healing, brings the reader to recognize experientially. And that was my goal. I... um, relate in chapter after chapter the life stories of many people, and these are, of course, composite life stories, of people who have come to realize the need for wholeness and have come to it in all kinds of different ways, but have eventually done almost every one of these types of wholeness, waking up once again, um, growing up, cleaning up, opening up, linking up, and lifting up. Six, not seven, but he actually talks about a few extra ones, not in the forward, elsewhere. Um, So there's a lot to be said about these different types of wholeness and the connections between them, and if you'd like, I'll be happy to speak more about that. Well, you know what, I think that that they can... um, you know, get the book, <laughs> you know, learn about that. Um, you know, I think, you know, those, that, that addresses the idea um, of, you know, I, I think for wholeness, it gives us a, a good idea of, of that particular approach. Uh, now, we've been talking about healing, and one of the things, um, to, in order for healing, in order for there to be a need for healing, there needs to be some kind of, trauma or something broken. So what would you, would you, would you say that that is true? And, and if so, what, what would, how would you describe that source, um, you know, f- for that need of healing? That's a very good question. Um, of course, the majority of people who seek to start an intentional healing process are experiencing some form of unwellness. As I mentioned earlier, it may be a mental Mm -hmm. health condition. Excuse me. It may be relational difficulties. It may be a loss or um, a turning point in their life, surprising events, etc. But more and more, I also find myself contacted by people who say, on the outside, everything in my life looks just fine. 
And yet, I feel a tension. I am not really happy. I don't really have peace within me. And I don't know why. I don't know what's going on. Uh, and I hear this uh, theme in a variety of different ways. Sometimes uh, people will come and they'll say, you know, I've just been in serial relationships over the past 10 years and I don't understand what is with me. I can't seem to settle. I can't seem to find something that really and deeply satisfies me. It could be as innocent as that. Um, mm -hmm. And I will say that more and more, it is the nature of the times that people are being shaken up into awareness in one way or another that our lives are not whole and that we need to become much more intentional and conscious in order to create wholesome lives. And, of course, the pandemic is a great example of that. I mean, what happened for a year? People were in shock. There was such a loss of uh, connection. There was such a rise in anxiety and depression, such perplexity, loss of jobs, difficult uh, circumstances for many millions of people. But this was a collective way in which even the most presumably comfortable among us were shaken up. Mm -hmm. We can't travel. Yeah. There are difficulties about leaving or entering countries. There's all kinds of complexities in our lives now that we couldn't even imagine a year ago. So, um, yes, hardship propels the more conscious intention towards healing, but it seems that now hardly anybody is free of hardship. Yeah, I know. You know, that was the, the one thing that, um, you know, as I was, you know, preparing for today's show, re recognizing the the state that we're in, you know, and it seems that when you, you know, when you said shaking to awareness, I mean, it, that was a, to me, that's a perfect phrase of what, I, what seems to have occurred for a good majority of people. And I, I would say probably enough to kind of raise the level of, you know, that uh, collective level uh, a little bit, a notch or two. Um, but, but do you think that, okay, recognizing that this is happening and that this is creating trauma, you know, you know, just that, just mm -hmm. that shaken, um, is there a way to, um, to maybe respond to the trauma so that it's it's like more integrated into our 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 state of being rather than being a traumatic period that it lasts for decades to come does that make sense that it makes a lot of sense and and I really really appreciate this question it's a very meaningful question. I think that is the crux of the matter. We are in global trauma. Um, the panels that I was listening to when in the first months of the pandemic, uh, very high-level panels, former um, heads of state and UN uh, figures, and they were all saying this pandemic is literally just a fire drill compared to the climate crisis that is rapidly approaching. It's just a fire drill. We've got to really understand how to deal with this reality. So more and more people are saying this because it's becoming more and more apparent. I mean, the, the weather, extreme weather changes that we're all experiencing across this country, the fires all over the world, it's apparent that it's not just a trauma caused by the pandemic that we hope will pass. It is clear that we are entering upon very difficult times and we have to make sense of them and we have to rise to the challenge. And that's what I describe in my book, in the first part of my book, is leaving home. We have literally left home. Uh, we cannot go back to the world as we know it because it has become unsustainable. And so, yes, the only way to integrate trauma is to really understand what it is pointing us to. Because suffering mm. and trauma are never random. From the point of view of spiritual reality, everything is an evolutionary process, and collective humanity is uh, really evolving. It is on a, on a massive trajectory of the evolution of consciousness. And that's another... Uh, 
very comprehensive Baha'i spiritual understanding that has truly inspired me. And since I first encountered it, the Baha'i system, I have found it uh, expressed in much more esoteric and uh, probably less explicit ways in earlier traditions, undoubtedly. But in this very modern spiritual understanding, it is very clear that we're undergoing evolution of consciousness and that each next stage of the evolution of consciousness involves somewhat of a painstaking leap. And by the way, I don't know if I mentioned this, but my actual field is adult development. So I focus on, on these developmental leaps in individual life, and I know full well that development in individual life does not come without some rocking. And, uh, and so it's so important not to look at these challenges and say, oh, why did this happen to me? Why me? It is so important, or why us, to realize that it is a meaningful universe and that everything that mm-hmm. happens has, contains a possibility, a potentiality for us to see more deeply, to see further, to become stronger, to draw on deeper resources, to unite, to support each other in ways that are far deeper and more meaningful than perhaps we have done in the past, and in that way find organic and far more creative solutions. And that is what we're living now. This is what we're needing. Look, the pandemic is not going away. We're in the second year, and there's mutation after mutation. So what are we going to do? Are we going to spend the rest of our lives in masks and limited travel from country to country? Or are we going to rise to a whole new level of solutions? And that's just one example. That's not the only crisis we're facing. So, yeah, yeah, very much. <laughs> yeah, you know, um, it it is um, it is interesting. The you know the the fact that it was able to you know shake those who probably would were so comfortable that they had no idea that they were that comfortable, you know, until, until they were shaken. Now, but one, you mentioned um, suffering, you know, the suffering and trauma. Now, I, I was interested, I, I watched a video on your website um, where you had a talk um, about um, the Indian um, Baha'i community. And um, in the, uh, you were talking about suffering, and that uh, you you mentioned you know that sometimes there is a perspective of suffering to a higher cause or a heroic ideal, you know, and and that that it would be viewed then as sacrifice by an individual. So I was just fascinated by the idea of suffering transmuting i guess into sacrifice and and because right now you know we're talking about uh you know the very intense you know divisions among people and and to me yeah. you know there's a lot of that you know beyond the the, uh, the iranian uh, uh community the um baha'i community so can you uh-huh. talk a little bit about the idea of, of, of suffering versus sacrifice and, and then the idea of it being toward a, you know, a higher ideal? So uh, I'm very grateful that you are uh, bringing forth this distinction and inviting conversation because I know we live in a time when uh, extremists, religious extremists, are uh, using the idea of sacrifice and even martyrdom uh, mm-hmm. for very in very violent ways and are justifying violence with, with this idea of sacrifice and martyrdom for, for a very elevated high goal. And I want to completely distinguish my understanding or any conversation I would engage in about sacrifice from such an attitude. So I will pause on this and come back in a moment. If you don't mind, I'd like to come back first to the idea of suffering. Um, I'm going to downgrade it and just speak about pain. Um, we have this idea in, Western, in the Western world, which is really set up by uh, consumer uh, society, that we are supposed to avoid all pain and seek only pleasure. And it's funny when I start reminding my, my clients 
that every one of us has come into this world through pretty intense pain on the part of our mothers. So (laughs) it seems that pain is woven into the fabric of life every bit as much as is joy and love and happiness. It seems that pain has its function as does joy and, and, and love and happiness. And so if we understand that the purpose of pain is oftentimes to give birth to a new and more comprehensive way of being, because otherwise we get comfortable and we just don't want to move, but a measure of pain just rocks us out of our comfort zone and forces us to, to, to look for new solutions, for new ways to ask harder questions. And in that sense, pain is generative. And um, I actually end my book with, uh, with a story, a real story, which I love, so I'd like to share it with your listeners just in case they don't have the patience to get through my book. Uh, <laughs> in the final page, I tell the story of an 11-year-old boy who turns to his mother and he says, and this is real actually, he says, Mom, the world is so upside down. It's not even sideways, Mom. Now imagine the times we're living that an 11-year-old can notice this and say this to his mother. So the mother takes a deep breath and she says, that's right, son. And that is the correct position for being born into a new world. Upside down. Mm. (laughs) Every woman who's listening will understand me. (laughs) So... Uh, what I was trying to say is that if we don't use the very intense word suffering, but we use the word pain, then we understand that pain is very much part of the fabric of life. We don't need to fear it. Of course, nobody needs to be seeking pain, but uh, right. there's plenty of it in life anyways, and we might as well understand it, embrace it, and let it lead us to higher ground. Suffering is what we inflict on one another. That is um, pretty universal. When I spoke about the Baha'is in Iran, it was about a particular form of suffering that is inflicted on them by a very fundamentalist Muslim Islamic clergy, which cannot accept the idea of the universal uh, spiritual ground of all faith. It cannot Mm -hmm. accept the idea of unity and diversity. It cannot accept the radical spiritual principle of unity, uh, unity of science and spirituality, unity of the human race, unity of different faiths. It cannot, and so it's persecuting uh, the Iranian Baha'is in vicious and merciless ways, everything from imprisonment, torture, killings, to denying them basic civil and human rights like the right to a burial, the right to education, the right to have businesses, the right to just about everything. So their condition is a condition of extreme suffering in the name of an ideal which they didn't embrace it in order to become martyrs. They embraced it like I did because it makes sense, because it is unifying, because it's healing. But in the course of embracing these ideals, sometimes we can face suffering, which is inflicted by Mm -hmm. intolerant others. And that was the particular context in which I spoke about how they do sacrifice because they're faced with a choice. Either, Either give up this ideal of universal fellowship and spiritual unity, denounce this ideal, or be subject to torture. And, and sometimes they accept the second. A lot of times, most of the time, they accept the second. So that's a terrible choice to face. And I hope that fewer and fewer people in the world will be facing it. But we know that is still a reality, not just in Iran. So many places in the world, people are faced with this horrible choice. Prisoners of conscience. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and you know, and I think uh, the idea when you talked about shaking, shaking to awareness, keep coming back to that. Um, but it, I think that is, you know, those, um, the, those, the topic of conscience. You know, what, you know, what motivates an individual. You know, what, what, what is their conscience? You know, I think a lot of what is happening now is um, giving people the opportunity to examine that for themselves, um, whether or not 
Oh, they do. Yes. <laughs> I like you were doing potentiality. Like a lot of people have. Yeah, mm-hmm. it seems like a lot of people have. It seems like during the pandemic, I at least have heard so many people say, you know what? I find out that I own a lot more than I can use when I'm not running all about and around. I find that I have more than I need. I find that I want to actually share. I'm starting to think about others. It's just, it really is amazing. I think there's been a lot of awakening to our own conscience through this period. I agree. I agree. Well, excuse me. We're going to take a quick break, okay? And then when we come back, <clears throat> I want to talk about critical consciousness. Um, that was a topic in, uh-huh. um, that I learned reading about your on your website. And I want to talk about that, okay? Thank you. Yes. Great. Everyone stay tuned. We'll be right back after this brief break. Hello, this is Robert Sharp. I want to thank you for joining us, and I hope that you are enjoying today's show. Just a reminder that we have a wealth of information and resources available on our website, byteradio.me. There is a calendar of upcoming shows, along with an archive link that will give you access to more than 1,600 shows that we have had during the past 12 years. Also on the site is a link to the products and services we provide, books, nature photography, calendars, and 5 by 7 photo greeting cards. Our show is a free podcast on Blog Talk Radio, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and TuneIn. And you can subscribe for free on any of those platforms by using the links on our website homepage. We are on social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, etc. And we also have buttons to those platforms on the top of our homepage. Our website, ByteRadio.me, has much for you to explore and enjoy. I also very much appreciate you supporting our guests, and especially today's guest. And now, back to the show. Okay, everyone. Thank you for staying with us again today. My special guest is Dr. Elena Mustakova-Pasart, and we are talking about healing in a complex and turbulent world and what it takes, um, as well as talking about her new book, Global Unitive Healing, Integral Skills for Personal and Collective Transformation. Um, Again, you can find out more about uh, Dr. Mustakova. Mustakova by visiting her website, which is elenamustakova.net. Okay, with that, we're back, Elena. Yes, Robert. Very okay. glad to be back with you. Thank you. Thank you. Now, um, when I was reading up um, about you and, and, and the book and, and your work, um, there, there was um, a, a bit of um, discussion around the idea of critical consciousness. Um, can you tell us what that is? Well, that's something that I have been pondering from for as far back as I can remember. I forgot to mention that I grew up in a totalitarian uh, society. I grew up under totalitarian communism. And for me, it was very, very important to understand why so many people went along with that ideology and Mm -hmm. what sustained the people who did not, who acted from their conscience, took a lot of risks, but continued to question and engage uh, alternatives. And so that's what I came to call critical consciousness, our ability and our willingness to call into question and examine our own way of being the realities and the social assumed and proclaimed truths and ideologies around us, and also our willingness to engage life and the world in ways that are constructive, resilient, and and truly seek a better and more just world. And if you would allow me, I'd like to read a segment from my critical consciousness book that actually describes this way of being. Will that be okay? Perfect, yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Okay, what is the nature of this way of being? People who exhibit it 
strikers as both independent and original thinkers and deeply connected to the rest of humanity. Individuals with presence and integrity, but not individualists. They identify with no one particular ideology, class, group, or philosophy. They draw on the best in it all. Yet their personal understanding is not eclectic, but deeply integrated. These are people who recognize truth in whatever shape or form it appears, who respond to life with wisdom and enter into an ongoing dialogue with it, not in order to outsmart life with their personal theories and beliefs, but out of awe and reverence for life. These people always stand out. Others are attracted to them and threatened at the same time because these people fit no easy mold and are not guided by personal interest. These people's lives are about truth and service, both outdated and discarded words, but they're not moralists. If anything, they are lovers, lovers of humanity, lovers of life. Their hearts embrace and respond deeply to the human condition. Their minds powerfully cut through the rubble of detail and the smoke of words and reach for inner meanings, harnessing knowledge into understanding, never just caught in the trimmings of knowledge. These are people who loved and who are loved and feared and hated, but who, whether we like them or resent them, represent our best hope for ourselves, that hope which we don't even dare entertain. These are the people who recognize Christ in his day as clearly as they recognize the betrayal of his message in some of the later practices of Christianity, who tremble with the power and mystical beauty of the words of Muhammad and do not for a moment confuse them with the threat of fundamentalism, who inhale deeply the words of wisdom of the Buddha but do not pose to the trendy Western world as enlightened Buddhists, who are neither of the East nor of the West, but have made the world their home, even if they never had a chance to leave their native land. These are people who know deep in their hearts, beyond all intellectual debate, that truth exists, even though they will never fully understand it, people whom the trends of the times leave untouched. About these people, Baha'u'llah wrote, This people have passed beyond the narrow straits of names and pitched their tents upon the shores of renunciation. I want to order a couple million of those. (laughs) (laughs) That's just the introduction to the book, actually. (laughs) No, no, you know, that's um, the, the... the description um, of that individual, um, or, or or actually, it's would you would you say that might even be an archetype? Um, the yes, the, yes, that's, that's of what so. that is. Yeah, that, I would agree that, that that's an archetype, but I would also add that this archetype is becoming the archetype of our times more and more. This is the kind of person that we are having to all transform into in order to survive and negotiate this this very difficult time successfully and meaningfully. Yeah. So now, how do we um, teach the... Um, or, or, or is that the right word? Or how do we... Um, have more occurrences of this happening? I mean, you know, the, the transformation of people or even the teaching of younger, you know, that, that uh, the, even the societal yeah. schooling, education kind of aspect into it. So um, I think that's a very, very pertinent question now because, as I said, uh, critical consciousness used to be an archetype that was both relatively rare and also quite recognized and always admired. But that was in the earliest stages of our collective evolution. In this stage in which we're having to emerge, this is pretty much what we all have to develop to some extent or another. And that is no simple leap. 
and it would involve everything from a massive revamping of the way we educate and think about education, uh, mm-hmm. of our children, of youth, advanced education, graduate education, um, also uh, media, what the media does. The kind of consciousness that the media uh, propagates right now is anything but critical consciousness. It's highly ideological, which is why more and more people are looking for alternative uh, media like yours. Uh, this is a very important medium for the education of, of critical consciousness. Um, the language, the language that we choose, I write a lot about that in my new book, Global Unity Healing. The whole book is in fact envisioned as a journey of growth, individual and eventually collective, towards critical consciousness. Because I know that is the healing journey, but uh, I just take people through it step by step, stage by stage. and one of the points that are very central in this uh, book, the Global Unity Healing one, is that we have to become increasingly mindful of the kind of language we're using. The language that has been in currency until now still is predominant. is so materialistic, so instrumental, so pragmatic, so unimaginative, I would say flat, and it just does it contains no vision, no, no sense of the, it does not speak to our spiritual nature. It does not speak to our true capacity. A universal spiritual uh, language is very necessary. It actually has evolved already, but we are not paying attention and we need to become much more intentional mm. in how we use it. In the middle part of uh, the book, I describe the transformation of one person Uh, that I had the privilege to work with, who grew up oppressed by a very violent language that she internalized in her life, which caused a lot of mental, emotional, and physical suffering. And as she began to encounter an evolutionary spiritual language, first in our interactions and then in readings that I recommended to her, she underwent a, a really profound transformation. And to me, That is an example of what can happen with every person. But we need a massive, very intentional campaign to expose people to a different language, to a different vision of who we are and what's possible in the world right now. Doesn't it require the individual curiosity and openness to that change, though? I mean, because I know there are some people who... (laughs) <laughs> They're not going to change no matter what you do to them. I mean, you know, I mean, there are some people who are hard fast in in their beliefs, yes. no matter what education. You know, it's true, and at the same time, in my mind, I hold an example of a figure. He was a central figure in Baha'i history. His name. Uh, is Abdul Baha. He passed away in the early part of the 20th century, but before he passed away, he traveled through both the East and the West. He crossed the whole U.S. He was celebrated in 1912 from coast to coast, every university, every synagogue, every church. He spoke everywhere. And he is, to me, an amazing example of a universal human who had a way with every person. The, the profound way in which he could see why people resist, why people become stuck, why mm. they shut down, to me has been uh, a model. I, I really try to live out this model, although I have to admit it, it's a very high <laughs> standard. And I find it quite challenging at times, and I certainly am not at all successful all the time. But I know it is possible because he lived it, he embodied it, and it's a contemporary yeah. life, so this life is recorded. And so people can read and, and find out for themselves. But um, I notice that when people get shut down in defensive ideologies, that's because mm-hmm. they're very scared. And if yeah. we are compassionate and open Spaces that are not insistent, that are accepting, 
I, I do believe transformation is possible everywhere. Now, this is not a guarantee, and it's not always <laughs> in our timeline. But that's where, you right. know, the faith in, in a spiritual universe comes. In a spiritual universe, which is much vaster than my individual efforts or yours or anybody else's, there are forces, powerful forces at work. And all I can do is put forth my best and then trust mm-hmm. that these forces in the spiritual universe will finish off the job in a timeline that I don't know. Right, right. Yeah, and I understand that. And, and you know, you're right in, in that it's, you know, most often the fear, you know, is, is behind some of the more, um, the, the strength behind some of those ideological kinds of, of positions um and you know that there people people do change you know people you know people do you know if if you're compassionate um enough and, and understanding enough and can you know kind of root out those fears that that, that can happen but i also too believe that you know they're you know they're in the scheme of things, maybe not. Maybe there's a uh, utopia, but but there's always going to be some counterforce. And, and I think sometimes the purpose of that is is to uh, you know that grain of sand to create the pearl kind of um, effect. Yes. You know that. Uh, yes. Yes, that's um, great. Yeah. So um, now, as far as uh, your your book, uh, Global Unitive Healing. Um, you, you kind of mentioned it a couple of times. What can you tell us a little bit about what the, the reader um, can expect? You know, as far as you know, I, I indicated a, a, a step-by-step path that you lay out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I wrote it because I am winding down my clinical work. I'm in the final stage of my clinical work. And I find it so hard when people contact me from every part of the world, including the U.S., but as far as China and Australia. And, and I am overloaded, and I have a hard time saying no to anybody because I know how difficult <laughs> the times are. And so I, uh, I just felt like I need to condense everything that I've learned in these three decades and make it available for people, for people to journey. Uh, and so this is a book that speaks with many different voices. Uh, There are times when it speaks with the voice of a social scientist, which I am very much. Uh, There are times when it speaks with the voice of the clinician. There there are times when it speaks with a very poetic voice, as in the prologue and early in chapter one. And it weaves then, there is a visionary voice when I speak about the transformation in the world that I'm discerning. so uh, it's, a, um, it's, a, it's a symphony, let's say. <laughs> it's a journey, but it's also a symphony, uh, very much in line with what uh, Ken Wilber suggests, that in order for us to become whole, we have to open up to all the different modalities that potentially we can experience and function in, that we cannot be limited to strictly the linear rational modality or strictly the emotional modality, or strictly the imaginative modality. We have to really open up to all of them and start to integrate them. And that's, in a way, what I've done in the book. And so you'll find, reader, the reader will find that uh, sometimes they will really identify with a case, with a life profile and a story, but then will be a little perplexed by the science that I offer, which is okay. You can skip right along. It doesn't matter. You don't mm-hmm. have to understand all the science. If you're interested in the science, you may not be so interested in the life histories. That's fine, too. Um, There are people who will read this more intuitively and grasp it on an intuitive level, and that's perfectly fine. So really, I've tried to write it in a way that speaks to the diversity that we are, the many facets of us. Um, Of course, that's not complete, because no human can, can do that completely. But uh, that was the intention. And so I would encourage the readers to not worry if there are parts that make more sense than others, if there are parts that they connect more to than others. It's okay. It's really a journey. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's um, important to, to know and to recognize that it's, you know, the, the destination isn't, <laughs> isn't really 
what it's all about. <laughs> you know, that's, yeah. that's, yeah. that's, that's to uh, um, achieve when you're there. <laughs> but in the meantime, you've got that journey that you're on to, to pay attention to. Um, well, and actually this, talking about uh, that journey, if I may, I just I'm wanted sorry? to come back to the metaphor of the, of the grain of sand that creates the pearl. Sometimes our discomfort with the journey is precisely that grain of sand that will yield the pearl if we hang in. So that's important <laughs> to remember, too. Yeah, but I've had myself many a grain of sand. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, wait, I'm waiting for that oyster to, to, to produce, but that's okay. In some cases, but uh, no, I'm, I'm just kind of picking. But it is true that, you know, if we look well, at... Well, it seems like it's produced you know, a lot. Judging by the conversation <laughs> we've been having, your grains of sand have produced quite a bit. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Well, so um, now, do you have any final words um, for our listeners um, that um, about you know, kind of maximizing this uh, complex, turbulent world? Yes, yes. Thank you. My final words are these: This is a time that is inviting us to become much more skillful, much more intentional, and much more skillful. In my book, I try to describe the skills that we need in this global age, in this time of turbulence, in order to come forth, to find solutions, and to leave to our children and grandchildren a sustainable planet, because we are realizing more and more it is not sustainable now. With our current level of living, our planet is not sustainable mm-hmm. for our grandchildren. And so it is about becoming skillful. We have good intentions. Most of us are decent human beings, and we care about our grandchildren. But we have to develop the intentionality and the skills. And my book was an effort in that direction. I deeply hope and pray that it will be of service to people in developing the skills for a global age, skills for consultation, for collaboration, for mindful and mature living in a complexity, in a global complexity, overcoming ideologies, and really recognizing our fundamental spiritual nature, the spiritual nature of life, and because of that, also recognizing that ends never justify means. If life is fundamentally spiritual, then uh, the energy and the spirit with which we approach things is defining. So as long as we approach this work and become more skillful in a spirit of love and fellowship, we will succeed and we will leave a sustainable planet. Well, that is the most, that's a wonderful, hopeful, optimistic, upbeat, (laughs) closing, you know, that, and I I thank you for that, you know, because, you know, in these times we just, um, sometimes we get lost um, in in the day-to-day uh, chaos uh, to recognize that there is still hope, and, but it does take awareness and action, you know, on our part individually yeah. and then working its way up collectively. Well, this has really been a wonderful treat, uh, Melaine. I really want to thank you for your time today. Well, Robert, I would like to thank you as well. This conversation has been so deep. And the questions that you've put forth were so deep. I'm truly grateful, and I think your listeners are very, very lucky to have you in this show. So thank you very much for having me. It it, it has been my pleasure. Um, Again, everyone, today my special guest has been Dr. Elena Mustakova-Pasat. We have been talking about healing in a complex and turbulent world and what it takes, um, as well as talking about her new book, Global Unitive Healing, Integral Skills for Personal and Collective Transformation. And definitely pick up the book. It's really great reading. And also do visit um, Elena's website, uh, which is www.elenamostakova.net. On there in her uh, resources and writings area, there's some very interesting reading. So, everyone, I want to thank you for joining us for this edition of the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. And until we meet again, thank you for tuning in. You've been listening to the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Remember, our show is available as a free podcast from Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, 
Apple Podcasts, Blog Talk Radio, Amazon Music, and Audible. To follow our show on any of those platforms, visit ByteRadio.me and select the one you use most. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at ByteRadioMe. Until we meet again, remember to be a bright light by bringing inspiration to your world and to the lives of those you touch. I'm sorry, the, the, the show ended, but I can go ahead and talk. Um, you were going to say? Elena? <laughs>